We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Podcast. Uh, this is the full Southampton v Newcastle United match preview. Alex Hurst got Simon Campbell sat next to me in Seton Delaville and live from London, Norman Riley on the line wearing headphones for those that have requested it. We are ultimately governed by our listeners. Right, Si, you've gone 1-1 in your match preview for True Faith, which is online now, true-faith.co.uk. I'll probably stick a link on the, the description for this podcast, so please have a look at it. Uh, why have you gone 1-1, Si? Uh, a variety of reasons. Obviously, we've got Rafa's away form, which means that you know, in years gone by, I said I said in the uh, in the preview, but in years gone by, going to St Mary's just meant like a three or four nil humping. Like doesn't matter who was in charge, Pardew, McLaren, Carver, even before Rafa. <laughs> yeah, Rafa got beat three one, didn't he? Uh, first time round, but um, it was just kind of a anything on the south coast. You just never really felt like Newcastle were going to get anything going that far away from home especially being on a Sunday, but with Rafa, there's no games you go into thinking we can't get something here, so that's that's one thing, especially away from home, you know he's going to set up well. Two, um, after international breaks, we always seem to come back with a bit of a bounce, regardless of the result before, so last season I think we played Derby away, Leeds away, um, and got two great results there, we won a game against Wigan at home or something, but um, generally speaking... Swansea this year. Swansea this year, uh, yeah. Um, generally speaking, we'll, we'll come back from a two-week break, the, the better side and I, I just put that down to the fact that we just know that Rafa will be working tirelessly it's not an international break for him it's a it's an international two weeks of prep so it just it just gives you that hope um, Southampton are a bit shit at the minute they've lost the last three or the last three home games uh, Man U uh, Southampton no West Watford Watford and they've lost in the cup they lost to Wolves um so they're not doing very well. They're not scoring many goals. They've only scored five in the league this season. Um, so they're just kind of they're, they're there for the beating. If there's ever a time when we might get a result, it's it's this one. Um, but I've gone for a draw because I believe that both Atsu and Richie, who've been two of our best players this season, might be out injured. So that kind of takes it away from being a Newcastle three 0 win to maybe it's a one one draw. So that's how I came to came to a draw. I kind of agree with everything you say there. I'm, I'm, I'm probably have my say in the result a little bit later on, but um, I did some research on Southampton because the Adam Reach, who's uh, on the pod on our podcast later on, um, Southampton journalist from the Daily, uh, Daily what Norman? Can you remember? The Daily Echo, which is um, the Southampton equivalent of the Chronicle. Yes, thank you for that. I was going to say a record, but I think that's the Glasgow equivalent. Anyway. Um, he he will talk to me later on and mention about the poor 
goal scoring record at home. I looked into it. They haven't that they played West Ham at home and won three two, but they were playing against ten men. So they've only managed to score at home this season with ten men. They haven't scored a home if you I know it's easy if you ignore the West Ham game. If you ignore the West Ham game, they haven't scored a goal at home in eight games, League and Cup. Eight full games. That's that's John Carver esque that. That's like McLaren and his fucking dog shit worst. Um that's so brutal. And it's you know, I, I often said over the summer that if we were if it was us who wanted a manager out who got to a cup final and finished eighth, you know, there would be petitioning to have the club wound up. There would be a formal petition presented to HMRC saying, why Newcastle United up? Because their fans are out of line. But that is shit. That is shit from Southampton and Club Well. Like, I looked back, and again, ignoring that, if you just, not ignoring the West Ham game, but against 11 men, um, haven't scored in the first half of a game, going back to like late January, early February this year. <laughs> it's a long time to watch a lot of first half games at home without seeing a, a goal so they do not start brightly that's the the one thing that hopefully we'll see um, continue all of these negative stats I'm telling you I think it's it's four four games out of five this season the Eden Cup they've failed to score that's brutal nil nil against Swansea who are shit um, beaten by Watford who look like they're good beaten by Man United who are good Beaten at home by Wolves 2-0 in the Cup. Wolves obviously a league below. Um, the, all of this stuff sounds great until you realise they're due. <laughs> they are due a few goals against someone. And I think the problem is it's not like they don't create the chances, although that obviously is a problem. You would score goals if you created enough chances. It's that they're very, very wasteful in front of goal. Um, Gabbiadini's a good player, but you know past his sensational start, he's obviously not been able to find the net. No one has. And their two wins this season, Southampton. Who did their the the beat Palace away, and they've beaten someone else, uh, who I can't remember, which is annoying. Um, so basically, it's it's a really tough one. In an ideal world, I think we should be going there looking for a win and should win the game. I don't think Southampton are bad. I don't think we're miles ahead of them, but they're playing without confidence. Uh, that their manager it. If you believe rumours and the journalist tells us later, it's been forced into a formation change this early. You wanted to stick with the philosophy and play with it. So he's got four games now before the play, all of the top six, some of them twice over the Christmas period. So this is like their season right here and we should be able to exploit that. Norman, the worry for me is that we'll see another Brighton. What do, what are your take on it? What's your take on it? Um, well, I'm going for a four all draw, so <laughs> it should be alright. Um I don't know, I mean they're a different. They're a different side to Brighton. Um, Brighton are a, I mean, are a workman-like side, and that is pretty much it. Um, go exploit. You know, the set pieces is all they had. Um, so I'm, I'm not feeling that because of the two kind of contrasting squads I've got. Um, if you look through their squad, I mean, there's some serious talent in there. Um, Romeo and midfield's a fantastic player. Gabby Dini can do the business. Bertrand, and Redmond. Um, so they've got obviously they've got the potential to to turn someone over. I just don't see it being us because one. Any of these teams don't really get turned over. Um, and two, I think one of the big problems they've got is obviously uh, Puel came in and he took over from Koeman, who was very popular in the dressing room. Um, and Puel didn't do too badly. I mean, they finished eighth, albeit on the 46 points, um, got to the, the cup final. But he, he spent a lot of money on players who probably weren't suited to Premier League football. Um, like Sofia and Buffal would be, would be an example there. And I think 
probably the big thing for them has been, um, and I don't know if the journalists allude to this, but is um, the, the Van Dyke saga that's dragged on, um, and he's the club captain as well, I believe. So my guess is that there's a bit of a bit, bit of internal with the squad not being 100 happy, um, and I think we can exploit that. I don't think there's going to be, as I say, the workman like Brighton performance. I think their heads are really down, and if we score early on, given their you know profligacy in front of goal and the lack of confidence. I can see we're I can see we're winning. I mean, I see this every game. We're getting nearly going away. I see it. I've pretty much said it every game since Rafa took over. But it's uh, it's what I'm feeling for this weekend. So um, the central midfield too. What you say? What are you what are you saying? What do you think you'll do? And what do you want them to do? Um, are they the same I thing? Think it's got to be the. <laughs> it is the same. I think you'll. I think you'll go with the same. The same two we did for Liverpool. Um, I, I, I don't dislike Hayden, but away from home this season, well, especially at Brighton and Huddersfield, he was a, he was a non-entity in that in that position, and he was a. I know Southampton are a slightly better well, side. I was going to say, only thing is, those two games we had more possession. Yeah. Whereas Southampton, that wouldn't surprise me to see Southampton's tipping 70 of the possession skills this weekend, I if just, such a yeah. thing existed. I know. I know. I just think Marino and and Shelby are our two best players. They're the two best players technically. They're both they're both got very talented, but they're they're just they're just good central midfielders, both of them, and both can do both jobs. <coughs> they can't sit a bit deeper. Both can win a ball. Both can play passes. Both can link up play. It, they're just two excellent central midfielders, and and I'm sure Hayden's got a lot to offer us this season. But for a game like this, I'm okay with just having my two best players on the pitch. I think um, it's a it's a meritocracy under Rafa, isn't it? And anyone who comes in and has a good game keeps their place. Yeah, definitely. So Shelby did have a good game against Liverpool. A very good game. Uh, Marino had a, a solid game as usual, so I, I expect those two to to continue. That excites me greatly, um, yeah. and I think that we will do a lot of damage to Southampton as a result. Norman, me and you earlier on today were having a discussion, and I said to you, um, this is particularly relevant with Shelby played, and this won't happen, so I don't think Rafa will do this. I would rather we play Dwight Gale, and I understand the argument that Hosselu came in and we saw improved performances. Yep. All of those games, Hoslu did well apart from Liverpool. No John Joe Shelby. I think Shelby and Gale, despite the excellent form of Marino, despite the brilliant performances of Kieran Clark and Jamal Lascelles and Christian Atsu, I still think Shelby and Dwight Gale are the best two footballers at this club. And I think I would much rather... I, I Again, I said after Brighton, I know who Southampton centre-backs would rather play against this weekend, and it's not Dwight Gale. Norman, would you disagree or disagree? Do you want to see Hoslu start or Gale? That's a really tough question. Um, I agree with you that Gale is our best striker um, in terms of his goal scoring ability. He's just a, he's, a, he's a goal poacher and he's, his movements excellent. He's quick, um, and he, of course he would give the centre half problems. Um, again, especially if Van Dijk's players well, because Van Dijk's head's just not in the right place, and and Gale's one of those players who any kind of lapse in concentration from a centre half, he'll he, you know he'll steam in. Um, but of course, the argument there is. Um, and I know that obviously you, you clearly want us to play four four two. That's what you're alluding to, isn't it? <laughs> um, but um, with with the way that Rafa sets up, we're not going to play. Um, we're not going to play more of the army in that number ten role. Um, we're going to talk about him a bit. It's going to be Ayuse Perez, Perez and Gale um, as the front two, both individually good players, but together I just can't see it um, working. So. Given that, I'd rather see Hotelu up front. And I would like to see, obviously, Gale come on with sort of 20, 25 minutes to go because I think he's given him a load of problems at that at that time uh, that time in the game. 
But with with Perez being a fixture on the number ten role, it's going to be tough for for Gale to come back in. Yeah, fair enough. So, what would you your your choice this weekend? Would you rather see Hosselu and Ayose Perez or Gale and Diame if you were picking the team? because they're working at the moment and I think their confidence is high and they're making the right noises in the press they're both obviously loving their football at the minute um, so I would go I would go with the confidence and I would I would start with those two and um, you've already mentioned Marino and Shelby definitely my centre midfield pin because they are both brilliant players I, I like how you allude that uh, they're playing with confidence when Perez to me looks a player shorn of confidence um, it didn't you know against Stoke and against West Ham he didn't but the Brighton and Liverpool performances. I mean, we're, let's we may as well talk about them now. There's been an, a media assault this week um, from all of the good writers that cover Newcastle. All come to the same conclusion. Funnily enough, that Iose Perez does a crucial job for Newcastle. It's defending from the front. It's doing this. It's doing that. And and, and I don't disagree with any of that. We've given Perez credit for that loads of times this season. What worries me is he's an attacking player. Uh, he has to, in my opinion, he has to contribute in an attacking sense in the games that will have the ball. So you know what? It is fantastic against Liverpool, against Stoke, against West Ham. In those games when we didn't have much of the ball, he did a really good job. And you know, people talk about it as this unspoken job that he does. But I think loads of Newcastle fans give him credit for that. I don't buy the narrative that was put out this week that Perez does loads of things that we can't see. I think loads of Newcastle fans and people listening to this can see what he does and appreciates it. The problem is, is yeah, Huddersfield and Brighton from Perez are probably two of the worst performances I've ever seen from a from a yeah. not worst but ineffectual performances from like from a shirt on the pitch. Um really bad performances and that's not how it's gonna go this weekend. But Norman, back to you. Am I being a bit do you think I'm being critical here? Do you think that the newspaper lads are, are right here and that we don't actually appreciate what he does for the team? Um, I don't think we, we don't appreciate what he does for the team. I mean, I think obviously we'd all like to see him score goals. Not score more goals, just score goals because he hasn't scored this season. Um, and I'm looking at his statistics now and uh, according to Premier League stats this season, he's created one big chance. I've got no recollection of that. Um, and he's had, he's had one assist... Um, so I mean, not 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 brilliant there, and that's that's someone in the number ten role. So I suppose we maybe I used the wrong word, confidence. Hosselu's confidence is sky high, no doubt about that. Perez, his confidence, okay. So it's not through the roof at the moment because he's not scoring and he's not contributing in a kind of attacking sense with uh, with assists. But what I suppose is that all these articles they've been generated to to not only give him a boost, I think, but also he's, his determination is coming through. I think he's he clearly. He's clearly determined to change this this pattern that he's in at the moment, and I think, I think, I hope, let's say that this weekend he's he's going to put everything into the game, and I think he's I think he's just he's won he's won goal from sort of his confidence just skyrocketing, um, and I, I still feel that this weekend um, he's he's the player that we should go with because I like to see Hosselu play, and as I've mentioned, I can't I can't see Gale um, and Perez working unfortunately. Oh, definitely not. First of all, there's no there's no one to win their headers there or even compete for them, really, isn't there? And that's one of the problems we had against Huddersfield because Gale and Perez did play against Huddersfield and Gale had a really poor game that day as well. Obviously, it was uh, without Shelby, uh, who's so important, Si. I, I would dispute that. I, I would quite happily see Gale and Perez start the game 
if we've got Marino and Shelby in midfield because I think there's enough creativity there that even with, with a bit of a lightweight... Problem is, though, so say Southampton are going to press us, which you think they are, who's the out ball to? Who holds the ball up? Like, Diarmé's <laughs> not any good at it, but at least he can occupy a centre-back. Yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know. I, it would obviously would be going less over the top. And, we'd be looking for balls at the channel. Last season, when Perez and Gale did play together, it was Matt Ritchie who they used to hoy the ball to yeah. on the right, and he might not be playing. <laughs> so who the fuck... <laughs> Matt Ritchie will play, won't he? Even if he's like 50% cropped, he'll play. Because um, who else is going to? Rolando Arms, does he still exist? He doesn't even get the bench, man. Uh, um, no, I still think there's enough creativity. And you saw that ball through to, to Hosselu for the goal against Liverpool. That wasn't a ball in the air that he won on in the head. But we also like, weren't, how I say, we were in possession there. We weren't clearing what lines I'm talking about from goal kicks. I'm talking about from what we don't want is the ball just I'm not trying to disagree well I suppose I do disagree with you I'd rather see Perez and Gale than Hosselu and Perez I'd rather see Diarmé and Gale I just think maybe I'm just completely brainwashed by him scoring so many goals last season and being so good like I love him a bit he's like he's the best striker I've ever seen in terms of goal return for Newcastle and like even compared to Andy Carroll he was just so good in the championship he was so better then all of the other players in that league are just desperate for him to play. Doesn't mean I wouldn't be absolutely delighted for Hosselu and Perez and buzzing when if they do the business, when they do the business, I nearly said, on on Sunday. I just think, again, I'll go back to it. Probably to agree with you, I think they would still rather face, like, I think the Southampton defence would rather face Perez and Hosselu than Perez and Gale. I still think they would prefer... Yeah. To, to to play so maybe maybe I can give you you know agree with you a little bit on that front but he won't do that for the reasons we've talked about I don't think anyway so you talked about um quickly we'll go, we'll come back to this in a second because it's important but about the Perez thing you you mentioned that Richie and Atsu might not be fit would it just be a straight um Murphy and Aaron's for you uh, it almost has to be who else who else do you go to well you could put Perez on the left like. The bad old days. Yeah, Rafa's done it before. Is Mark Woods still there? <laughs> Him and Overtown <laughs> returning to fitness. Every time that Aaron's has played, he's, he's shown signs. Absolutely mint. He's, he's just looks, he looks brilliant. Uh, there's obviously other things going on, but if he's fit enough to play a game of football, absolutely, he's, he should come back. He's, he's got, I think he's got more to offer us in his current kind of the, the way he is than, than Murphy. I think Murphy's shown how raw and like undeveloped he is. Um, both will probably have to play assuming that Richie and Atu can't and I think it's a good test a good opportunity for both but yeah with, with Aaron's Gale and Perez as your front three you're starting to look really lightweight but also you've got three very tricky players who you just give the defence something else to think about yes Hosley is brilliant in the air but then we, we come, we'd become very one dimensional as long as they can mark him out the game there's not much to go on whereas if you've got those three kind of tricky threats and Murphy who's an unknown quantity I just think we'll have got quite a lot of options there and then two midfielders to dictate the play I'd be happy with that lineup. Yeah, one thing which probably comes to mind as well is we did concede from a set piece at Brighton, which again I suppose playing <laughs> Perez and Gale, it's like Hoslu does a, a job defensively from set pieces. Um, or maybe I'm thinking too negative. Norman, back to you on this Perez media thing. Why do you think Rafa Benitez has been so keen to put this message out with the local lads about Perez? Why does? Why do you like? I'll just yeah. I'm not asking. I'll yeah, ask no, no. It, it's interesting. It's interesting because um, if you um, if you just Google Ayuso Perez and you, and you look through the first couple of pages, um, 
you're looking at within the last five days there's been an, uh, an article in the sun the star obviously quality publications um obviously martin hardy uh, the chronicle uh, the mirror so you're looking at pretty much all your major newspapers have had something on perez in the last uh, five days um and it's not it, it's not even an interview is it it's not an interview no, with no, him not, this is why it's not, so weird just to clarify for the listeners, it's not like we're doing like positive articles about players. We do, we love them. We try to be as positive as, positive as, as we can. Um, but it's just so weird that all of these journalists all came to the same conclusion at the same time about the same player. Um, so normally you've just demonstrated that perfectly by every single publication out there. You know, <laughs> praising Iose Perez, what the fuck's going yeah, on? Is this you, some kind of like communist society we've been can you imagine Steve McLaren two years ago convincing all the local journalists to say actually Wijnaldum's mint away from home <laughs> he's been doing loads of stuff that you can't see like it just shows what Rafa's kind of the, the, what he can do and the, the respect he's got it, it, it's absolutely it's the psychology because we yes we, we haven't criticised Perez for his work rate um, and you know I don't think anyone has but unfortunately Social media again, it does it does attract quite a fair bit of criticism. Now, I suppose if that's been picked up on by people within the club, um, and and we've mentioned it before, these things can affect players because players do go on, on you know on Twitter, on Facebook, players do read comments on them, and they're making a hundred brilliant comments, but a couple of bad ones could could possibly affect them. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking into it too deeply. But no, you're Benitez, right. Yeah, Benitez has obviously picked up on something um, that isn't quite right or isn't quite to his um, to his satisfaction. And he's decided to, to give um, Perez a confidence boost. And I, I think this will do it. I mean, you've got Perez now coming out and saying, I've got a dream of playing for Spain in 2018. I mean, I think it's going to remain a dream, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but at the same time, at least he's not coming out and saying, oh, things just haven't been going well for us at the moment. I'm having a bit of bad luck. He's not saying that. He's basically saying, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to work hard. And there's absolutely no doubt that he's getting loads of support at Benitez. And this, I think, forms part of that support. And it's just... Uh, if it's, if it's been done by Benitez or by the coaches, whoever within the club, it's just an excellent um, example of man management. And hopefully um, hopefully we'll see Perez pull off a good performance on Sunday. Uh, Saturday. Oh, is it Sunday? It is so Sunday. Go you're, on, you're, yeah. you're good, so get the day right. Yeah. No, no, I'll just go and do the day early. Jimmy White won't mind. He'll be all right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree to an extent. And like, it is nice that the manager, like Sai says, is able to control the... The narrative of, of stories as is, is, is clearly as that and really try and big up a player and it, it is nice in man and management. The concern is if he's shite on Sunday. Like, it's it's one of those things. That, I don't think he will be on Sunday because, as, as I said before, we're not going to have much of the ball, so he'll be all right. Like, even if he doesn't use the ball well, which he normally does, to be fair to him, so it's all right because he's going to be, we're going to be so reliant on doing that pressing job in that trying to turn over balls in midfield and that defending from the front job that it's basically a bit of a pass for him it's Palace at home I'm concerned about we need him against Palace let's presume let's just presume Palace get beat 2-0 this weekend they might win they might draw they might get beat but score a goal but let's just presume they get beat 2-0 it would be the most Newcastle United thing ever to go and let them score in that game and get a result and we're going to be it's going to need more because I presume I presume Palace are going to want us to have the ball that game. It would be mental if they tried to capitalise possession at home after what we did to West Ham and Swansea. Um, and Liverpool as well to an extent. Um, I just worry a little bit that a player who's been here, what, signed in the 2014-15 season, so he's been here since 2014, kind of three and a half years, or maybe just three, well, three years, not three and a half. He's been, no, four seasons. 
14, 15, 15, 16, 16, 17. It's his fourth season at the club. Yeah. Um, it looks to me like he's got worse in an attacking sense. And I, what, what, listen, what do I know? So maybe well, maybe I'm wrong, but it's like I just I just worry a bit that this is kind of Rafa's last attempt at trying to drum some confidence into him that he's had to literally like summon the nation's media <laughs> to put out the most positive stuff they can to try and get a performance out of him. I think I mean I think he's I know what you're saying attacking wise he's he's offered less and less as each season gone on but he's also he's doing that old um thing of being moved further and further back <laughs> into the in the team he he went out wide now he's he's playing as number 10 but he's also playing as a as a very kind of part of the midfield number 10 winning like the ball a, like a eight and a half or something yeah um I think Rafa just knows Newcastle fans better than we thought he did already like we, there's always one player that whenever we lose a game it's like fucking Perez he's shite Urbatan shite Jonas was shite for a while before before well, he became here <laughs> <laughs> it's just like there's always an easy player to blame when everything goes wrong and Perez is, is that kind of because because when we do have a bad game away from home it, it's so obvious in that number 10 role that what the, the, the play just kind of breaks down a lot around him um I just think he, he kind of knows that if if we, if things go badly, people are going to get on Perez, and then that's we're a player down. The positive thing is, we all know, and everyone listening to this hopefully knows. I always say Perez is a good player who can play in the Premier League. Yeah, there is no, um, you know, if about that, he scored maybe more Premier League goals than anyone else in the squad. With that, I've made that up off the top of my head, like, but sounds believable. <laughs> he scored more Premier League goals than anyone no, else we've got. Medrovic just scored 89 goals <laughs> in 100 appearances. If you include his Serbia, Serbia appearances and his under 21 appearances for Serbia <laughs> and the game of goals he plays on a Thursday night with the lads, he's <laughs> prolific. But anyway, um, yeah, so Perez does have what it takes. Well, no, he does. Um, he had it, If he had it th- four seasons ago, he's definitely got it now. So... Let's you know. I'm sure Rafa knows best, knows what he's doing. Let's just hope. I'd love nothing more than just be to, to like if 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 Perez scores and we win, I will name the title of Sunday's podcast. We know nothing. <laughs> I always say Perez is class. Promise you now. You heard it here. Um, just a quick word, Alex. On um, you mentioned Perez and uh, the Palace match. Gale's going to be playing against Palace. I, I reckon. You reckon? So I think I think Perez might might be in the team of that match. I would love to see him play uh, Gale against Palace because I just um. I just have a feeling that he'll he'll bang a couple of goals in. I mean, he was he was. I mean, we're getting in the Palace game, yeah, so I won't go too far. But he, he's really, he really. I reckon he will really feel like he's got a point to prove to Palace, um, and especially to uh, to the kind of chairman and the what about management of the club. So yeah, I reckon Gale will be in the side. I'm gonna go on record and see it now. I'm putting a bet anyone. I bet you fiver. Gale's gonna play. Right, so that'll, we're, that'll, we're, be, that'll be two podcasts in a row where we'll have to put we know nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go for a draw in the game, um, same as you, Si. I almost feel like saying it's going to be nil-nil, just because sensible money says Southampton can't score. We're minted defending, but we also, like away from home, have struggled to create. Apart from at Swansea, I thought I thought the performance at Swansea was very good, and we did create a bit. Um, Set-pieces worry me a little bit. Um, I know I haven't conceded loads from them this season, but Liverpool should have scored from a corner last week. Um you know, Brighton did score from a set piece. Uh, it's we're probably not as good at defending set pieces as, as I thought uh, would be. But you know, they've had two weeks, like you said, Sai. Every single international break under Rafa, we've won after it, yeah. um, including this season. So that bodes really well for the fixture. Um, Norman, you're you're going to the match. What are your plans for the day? Um, 
driving, nothing. I'm good. So I'm travelling down there with a, a mate from um, a mate from London who's a, a Newcastle fan, a lot of, I used to go to school with. Um, so we're going to head there, head down there about 11, have a, one or two drinks in the three hours before the game. Um, hopefully enjoy the match and maybe have a couple afterwards and, and head back up and attempt to write a two-faced match report um, <laughs> whilst, whilst I'm still capable of typing. Um, <laughs> in, t- in terms of the game itself, um, I'm on, I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll this week. I had, I had money on Portugal to uh, win two 0 the other night, so I'm feeling confident, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go for two one in Newcastle. Two one. I think a lot of Southampton fans would take that just to see them score. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you're right about the set. I think you're right about the set pieces. I mean, that, that's where they could get joy. Um, they've got you know Romeo who's an excellent um, header of the ball. Uh, obviously, Ward Pros can can deliver. They've got, um, I think, Van Dijk will be playing. They've got Yoshida, so you're right. I mean, they're going to be tough to to uh, defend against, so they might get to go through a set piece. Um, but I just, um, I can just see you're scoring. So I'm uh, feeling positive. Let's go for two one. Let's go for two one. I think that's it for today, lads. I don't think we've got anything else to discuss on this matter. I'm now going to leave you with me having a chat with Adam from the Daily Echo in Southampton. Um, he's the, I think, he's the chief sports. Uh, write it down there so he's basically their Lee Ryder so I'm sure he's uh, excellent as is Lee um, give him a follow on Twitter if you if you want another Southampton insight uh, lads thanks very much we will be back with you probably straight after the match on uh, on Sunday um, hopefully we'll watch it together sorry um, <laughs> like we did for the, the Swansea game and yeah we'll, we'll be speaking straight away obviously Norman will be singing and partying in the in the stand at St Mary's so he'll not join us so Norman uh, thanks Thanks for coming on. We'll speak to you probably in the Palace preview again. And uh, everyone, yep, thanks for listening. We'll see you after three points at Southampton. Adam, uh, I suppose the first question we'll, you know, that I'll have for you is about the manager. Um, is it fair to say it's been a, a fairly underwhelming start so far from um, the new guy? Well, it's been it's been mixed, I'd say, so far. It's been a bit, bit up and down. I mean, the, the big thing is that, that he hasn't been able to get them scoring many goals so far and that's been that's been really the big problem that's the problem they carried over from the end of last season when they they barely scored for two or three months at the, the very end of last year and they only scored 17 goals overall in the Premier League uh, last year um, struggled badly at home to score goals and uh, it's, it's not really got much better and that's been the, the crux of the problem really I mean they're playing relatively well uh, under Pellegrino, I think he's he's doing a, a fairly sound job, but that, there's still that missing ingredient. And I guess the question Saints fans are asking themselves really at the moment is is that missing ingredient actually uh, something that's a problem with the manager and therefore successive managers, or is there something a bit more fundamental with a, you know, a significant mental block in the squad they've got, or have they just not quite got the balance of of players in the squad correct? Um, to to get the goals that, that are going to win them some more games, and that's essentially been the uh, the problem so far this year for them. Yeah, so if, if you mentioned last season there. What was the thinking behind the change uh, from, from your perspective from um, Puel to Pellegrino? And you know, was it simply a case of of scoring goals, or was there a, was there bigger problems with the manager that the club felt no, we need we need this change to take the club forwards? I, I just think that the, uh, there was a there was a, a frustration certainly in the fan base that I think the, the, the club uh, basically agreed with and and reacted to. Um, the frustration was that 
the football was was fairly dull to be honest it was pretty boring last year um, the thing was actually if you look on paper for Southampton to finish 8th and get to the League Cup final in a season in which they also competed in the Europa League um, which is obviously a very rare thing for Southampton to do um, it actually wasn't really that a terrible season all in all but actually the entertainment factor was so low sort of crowds were beginning to drift away towards the end of the season I think that they felt that they needed to react to that and to do something about it I think if Claude Puel would have stayed it probably would have been more of the same and you can argue the toss as to whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing but I think it probably would have been more of the same and they knew that and so they decided that's not what they wanted and, and that the time was right to make a change the, the thing with Pellegrino is that he's not wanted to rock the boat too much and so has started um in a fairly sort of similar vein really to try and make sure that Saints are a fairly solid team and, and that they've got a good base to get results but obviously that's had to, you know, really it's been the same the same old problem again so far this year and, and that's where he's he's got to turn it around to, to differentiate himself from Puel and, and what we saw last season Yeah I looked at your, your fixtures so far this season I think it's four or five home games now including the cup de- defeat where we've only managed to score in one and that was uh, I think when West Ham were down to 10 men or West Ham had 10 men is is this game and I looked at your fixtures this little you know you've got a fit I mean you, you might want to call them easy but certainly easier than some of the teams that you faced recently is this little run of fixtures do you think really important for the manager and his future in terms of getting the team scoring because after us off the top of my head I think you've got um, West Brom Burnley and possibly and Brighton do you think this it's kind of do or die time for the new manager and his his potential uh, prospects at the club? I, I don't know if it's quite that dramatic yet. Southampton are, are, are a very sort of patient club and a patient patient bunch of fans on the whole. They, they do tend to give managers time, and I don't think it's it would have to go extremely badly. I think it, for for it to get to that kind of extreme that you were starting to question his position. But I think in terms of actually. The, the context of Southampton's season overall and, and what they would like to achieve, which is to be fairly high up the table, and especially I think with uh, Everton looking, you know, their poor start to the season, they've not locked down. We know who the top six will be in whatever order, but we don't know who seventh are going to be. There could be a potential European spot there. I think from Southampton's point of view, if, if Everton aren't like last season, going to be miles clear of everybody else in that position, then Southampton would consider themselves to kind of be the next best club having finished 6th, 7th and 8th the last three years and they, they would look with all due respect at Newcastle, Watford, Burnley, West Brom teams like that who were kind of up in those positions in the early table and potentially challenging up there and I think well why, why shouldn't we be up there um, as well with those teams challenging for it and in terms of the context of that I, I've written a piece actually to say that this is the defining period for them these four games when you look at the seven Premier League fixtures they've had so far. Really, other than Manchester United, they haven't really had to play anybody of any great note so far. Um, and they've only got two wins, as it stands, and a few draws. So these four games, really, they're, they're going to need, I think, to get nine or ten points out of these if they're realistically going to look at trying to really make a real play for that seventh position. And if these four games don't go that way, if they go a bit more like the rest of the season has, a sort of a 1-1 draw 1 loss 1 1-1 one, type rotation then uh, at that point to be honest it's, it's you're almost condemned to mid-table already um, and that's not a very appealing prospect given that they have got knocked out of the 
uh, League Cup in the first round. It's, it's not really going to make a very mouth-watering season if by November you think, well, there's nothing left to play for really much than mid-table and you know just hope for the best in the FA Cup. So from their point of view, to for the season's point of view, I think this is an absolutely uh, crucial four fixtures for them because once they, they get these out of the way, then you have the November international break. The fixture list then is tough. They've got to play most of the top six, some of them twice in a, nice. in a fairly short period of time. It's going to be very, very hard to accumulate many points then. So they've really got to got to get a, a wriggle on now in these games. Interesting. I mean, moving ahead to the the fixture this week, and I presume you know you've just you've just said there that these four fixtures are earmarked for points. I'm sure a lot of Southampton fans will look at Newcastle as a potential and a hopeful three points, not just because we're a newly promoted club, but also Newcastle's record. Um, on the south coast is 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 terrible and has been for about twenty years. Um, where will where where do you think Southampton can hurt Newcastle this weekend? What are Southampton's strength as a team at the moment? Well, I mean it's going to be very interesting this weekend. Just on, on a side note on that, because uh, um, the manager is coming under quite a lot of pressure to actually change the formation and, and try and do something a bit different to get goals flowing. And I sense that he was close to doing it before the international break when they played away to Stoke and, and decided to give it one more chance in the, the sort of 4-2-3-1 type formation they're playing um, they, obviously they didn't work out in that game for them and so I wouldn't be at all surprised if we see something a little bit different on Sunday um, in terms of a change of formation a bit of a change of emphasis and style in, in a bid to get some goals flowing which makes if that does happen makes it obviously a slightly more unpredictable Encounter. Um, I don't know exactly how Newcastle will approach the game, obviously, but the, gem- the general consensus of teams coming down to St Mary's, uh, especially those sort of outside of the top six, has been to be try and be very organised, very compact, play very, very deep, ten men behind the ball type stuff, defending from the edge of your own penalty area, and then hope that maybe you can get play for almost a nil-nil, and hope maybe you get a break or you, you get a little bit of pressure and you get. A- chance from a set piece things like that that's been the way a lot of teams have approached it and Saints have very very much struggled um, with that they've struggled to break teams down when they play like that when teams come and they're a lot more expansive or they're more open attacking like West Ham were that really does play into Southampton's hands and that's exactly what they want teams to do so with Rafa Benitez being an experienced manager I'm sure that he's a well aware of this and, and obviously a lot of the talk that we hear down here about Newcastle is that they're a much more cohesive unit much more able to play that kind of style of football under him uh, and so I, I would expect that and that's obviously going to make it a very if they come, Newcastle do come and play like that that's going to make it hard for Saints so it's going to be uh, it could be a, a tough long afternoon for them if they're sort of patiently knocking on the door and Newcastle are, are sort of defending doggedly Yeah and that that will be <laughs> the way it goes I mean I don't think we'd probably defend on the edge of our own 18-yard box. It'd probably be a little bit more expansive than that, but we'll certainly be 11 men behind the ball out of possession and out of predict Southampton yeah, to have it. That's exactly what Saints have struggled with. I mean, you, you look at the Stoke game, and it's fairly typical of a lot of their matches. They had 70-odd percent possession. I mean, that means they virtually had all the ball the whole game. <laughs> yeah. um, and yet, turning that into goals, turning, you know, turning them having the ball in the non-threatening areas to them having the ball in threatening areas and creating chances has been the problem and, and if Newcastle are going to come and play like that as I would expect probably in this little run of four fixtures we talked about all those teams to come and play 
in that way is going to make it a challenge for Southampton and, and it's but it's one that they need to get on top of they need to yeah. work out how to how to handle this and how to do it because if not then then their season is, is not going to improve in the way they want it to it's interesting that Stoke came to St James's and had about 60-65% possession got beat <laughs> and then faced Southampton I mean so it's weird that the way, the way it's gone in the Premier League where there's all the you know there seems to be these three tiers of teams you know Stoke's attitude to St James's was completely different um, and then doing that at home to Southampton it's just it's bizarre to me because Stoke you know regardless of their preconceptions and things like that the Britannia's always supposed to be in a hard place to go you never thought they'd be giving Southampton the ball for majority of the game but they took three points like you say and um, well, Southampton the, the way they approached it was interesting because it really didn't start out like that I mean the first half of that game was very very open I was in fact I think I was very surprised I think a lot of people were how open it was it was actually quite enjoyable it was quite <laughs> entertaining first half and Stoke were really kind of going at it and Southampton were attacking back but then once Stoke got their nose in front just before half time they also missed a penalty as well um, but they were 1-0 up at half time they, they just seemed to have a complete uh, change of plan at half time and they defended as deep as you'll see any team defend they, they literally had virtually no attacking ambition after that uh, whatsoever uh, and they just gave Southampton the chance to keep the ball and just, just it wasn't a popular tactic with the home crowd you could see they were frustrated and negativity but it wasn't until then Southampton eventually did get an equaliser the Stoke decided they better come out of their shells and play again and sure enough obviously they ended up winning so it was a very weird game uh, a very, slightly odd game plan I would say to, to play like that but uh, I mean uh, I think amongst the non-top six teams those that sort of the, the desire to try and make sure first and foremost you don't lose seems to be overwhelming everything else at the moment yeah very interesting I suppose finally um, the, the club have just had either fresh investment or, or takeover I'm not sure on the details but I believe that um, a Chinese consortium has has invested heavily in Southampton. What are your what's your understanding of their thoughts behind that? Do you think that maybe there will be a move by these new owners or investors to try and progress Southampton closer to the top six, or is it going to be more of the same? Personally, I, I think it's probably more of the same. Uh, I, I expect some investment, but I don't expect it to be uh, outrageous uh, spending. I think it will just be steady investment, certainly in things like infrastructure and behind the scenes things rather than um, splashing you know, 100 million on, on a new player or two um, yeah, the, basically what's happened is uh, the club, as you're probably aware were, were in administration uh, some time ago, they got bought out by the Swiss billionaire Marcus Lieber who sadly passed away a year after purchasing the club and left it to his uh, daughter Katerina who's basically been the owner ever since, uh, she's um, written quite a lot of checks for, for Saints to sort of keep the, uh, the, the momentum going um, and uh, basically felt that with her personal finances which are uh, only we, we say only in the hundreds <laughs> of millions rather than the billions which is obviously what you need if you're really going to bankroll a, a massive Premier League team um, that, that she was not the right person to take it forward. She keep, kept a stake but has sold uh, 80% of her holding to, as you say, a, ch a Chinese um, consortium headed up by uh, a man called Gao Jisheng. Um, uh, they have uh, only just come on the scene really, so we kind of wait to see what will happen, but a lot of the talk behind the scenes is, is as I said, some steady uh, investment over a sustained period. 
um, to try and to try and put Southampton on a footing behind the scenes, whereby they're ready to become a bigger club on the pitch. How that actually transpires in terms of making them a bigger club on the pitch when you don't have that huge financial uh, backing, I, I'm not entirely certain. But I think that's the path they're going to take. Certainly, very unusually for a major takeover, they've uh, agreed to keep the entire club staffing as it is, including the chairman, the the people who are running the club, they are still the same and they are very much hands-off. They've only been over from China once. They're leaving them to it uh, to run the club. So we'll wait to see if it stays like that. But at the moment, it looks like it's kind of still feels like business as usual. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.